1: innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.
0: If you enjoy listening to Choreology, then I need your help. Here's why. I create Choreology by myself on a shoestring budget, recording and editing every episode in my tiny closet. How's that for irony? That's where you come in. Will you help keep Quirology on the air by supporting it financially? By tipping as little as $1 a month, you can help me improve and keep making Quirology every week. All you have to do is jump over to com slash support to make a pledge and listen away. Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts, and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 53
2: There are a lot of good resources for people who have shifted faith into a more progressive space who needed to do a lot of that deconstruction-reconstruction work for adults now, but the content for kids is, by and large, still pretty awful.
0: Janine Akers is a documentary filmmaker, a writer, cautiously Christian seeker, and a mother who believes deeply in the power of stories. Her film projects explore faith, identity, and belonging, and include the feature documentary Seventh Gay Adventists, which screened at numerous film festivals around the world, and Outspoken, a series of seven documentary films about LGBTQ Adventists who are living out their faith and who they are in unique and compelling ways. Her new project, uh, which is what we're talking about today, is Holy Troublemakers and Unconventional Saints, an illustrated children's book which profiles uh, 50 people of various faith traditions who worked for love and justice, even when that meant rocking the religious boat. Uh, she's creating this book because of the vast majority of faith-based content for kids comes from fundamentalist perspectives uh, and runs the gamut from terrible to harmful. This is such a cool project. Like I'm, I'm super excited about it. They launched it roughly a week and a half ago on Kickstarter. Over fifty percent funded at the recording of this. Uh, they're they're trying to raise fifty thousand dollars for this book. So they're doing they're doing great. Um, Danine is passionate about her girls learning about people of diverse faith backgrounds who have been troublemakers for the higher good. People like Bayard Rustin, uh, who. Literally was the chief planner behind, uh, the 1963 March on Washington, uh, black gay Christian man, uh, who we aren't taught about because he was gay. Uh, and this book is going to highlight these stories, uh, Bayard along with, uh, is going to be 50, 50 total profiles, uh, beautifully illustrated. Uh, yeah, it's an incredible project. Um, before we jump into all of that, a couple things. It's, been a little while for Quirology. Hi, we're back. I graduated. <laughs> and that feels amazing. This weekend, I'm going to be at Wild Goose Festival. Uh, we're recording the first ever live episode of Quirology uh, with Aaron Green, who's the co executive director of Brave Commons. Uh, you may remember a while back, way back, uh, in episode five with Michael Vasquez talking about the need for a more inclusive campus ministry. Since that episode, Michael has founded and leads Brave Commons, and Aaron Green is his co-executive director. Uh, This is a multi-college campus ministry that's fully inclusive. So we're going to be talking about the work that she's doing with that, uh, some of her other work. That's happening at 11.30 a.m. at the podcast stage on Friday. Then on Saturday at Wild Goose, uh, I am joining a panel uh, with Dr. Robin Henderson-Espinoza, Uh, Kevin Garcia, uh, a variety of other people uh, called Loving Our Way to Freedom, Ridding Ourselves of Internalized Transphobia, Homophobia, and Queerphobia. Uh, That's at 11 o'clock on Saturday the 14th again at Wild Goose Festival in the Living Room. Uh, So if you're going to be hanging out at Wild Goose, come hang out with us. It's going to be great. Uh, And then at the end of the month, uh, I'm going to be in Victoria and in Vancouver, B.C. for a keynote, a couple panels uh, at Spirit Pride. For more information about all of those things, just head over to my website, MatthiasRoberts.com, and all that stuff is right there on the front page. Okay, let's go ahead and dive in. Deneen, hi, welcome.
2: Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so yeah.
0: excited. Yeah, so so to start, this is a question I ask everyone, um, but how do you identify, and then how would you say that your faith has helped form that identity?
2: I identify, some days it varies, um, but I'm a person of faith who is also filled with lots of doubts and questions. Um, sometimes my hope is that my faith will return. And some days I step into that a little more easily. I'm an ally, as, uh, as good a one as I can be to um, my LGBTQ friends, as well as my friends who are of color and who just have different experiences in the world, and are helping to open my eyes all the time. I'm a mom. I have two girls. One is two and a half, and one is nine and a half. I have a new puppy, uh, so I'm a I'm a I'm a dog guardian. Um, I'm a wife. I've been married since well, it's been almost twenty years. So. I, I uh, We were children, clearly, when we got married. Um, actually, practically having grown up in the conservative uh, denomination where it was, you sort of just, uh, that happened a little more um, at a younger age than I hope um, will happen for my children. And I'm a storyteller and somebody who absolutely loves hearing other people's stories and just um, connecting in our common humanity. So that has fit naturally with documentary filmmaking and um, writing. And I do a little teaching here and there um, as well.
0: Yeah. So I'm like, I'm thinking back to like the first time I heard about your work, which was several years ago when y'all made the Seventh k Adventist film. I'm curious about like, what, what kind of brought you into like this journey? So like as a straight person, like to make this film about queer people in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, um, and then you've continued to kind of work in these spaces, Like, where did that kind of come from?
2: Yes, It's not something I would have predicted at all. Um, so my husband is a filmmaker and um, had been doing that for several years. I was teaching English. Um, I've taught everything from sixth grade up to college level English. And there was a time when um, we decided we wanted to do some work together because our skill sets sort of complemented each other and at the time we were living in san francisco and which is still the city of my heart forever uh, i I wish I still lived there and we had started going to a little um, it was called second wind it was it 's a hard to describe church one of those churches that never knew whether to call itself a church or a spiritual community, but it was a place where people from my denomination who sort of felt like refugees for one reason or another, or that they didn't fit could go because it had been founded by two pastors who had been pastors in the seventh day Adventist um, denomination, but were no longer for um, various reasons, but it still met um, actually in a Quaker meeting house. Uh, I heart Quakers and, um, in downtown San Francisco on Saturday morning, which is for Seventh-day Adventists, their typical worship time. And so it word got around in the Bay Area that if you didn't fit um, in an Adventist church locally, this is, was a new option. And it, it always tends to surprise people that um, Seventh-day Adventism, like many other churches, um, uh, Denominations in big cities is very very conservative. Actually, people often think of everything in San Francisco as liberal, but the the church options, at least from that denomination, were not at all. And so we hadn't been going to church at all, and we sort of heard about this new community and knew a little bit about the people who had started it, and thought, well, um, let's try. And there were like six people going at that time. Like it was we were at the very beginning, and. It sort of um, organically became just a really safe and inclusive space that had a little bit to do with the personal journeys of the pastors who were leading it and facilitating it at the time. And it was the first time that I realized that they were gay Adventist, and pretty soon I realized they were actually gay, lesbian, bi, trans—that uh, they were queer Adventists. And it hadn't occurred to me before because of the incredibly, you know, um, isolated little bubble I had grown up in, and I suddenly was in deep friendships um with LGBT people and my entire perspective was blown open because everything that i had been taught um or was hearing because this was actually the era leading up to prop 8 in the 2008 election in california so th- there was a lot of rhetoric being thrown around in um conservative denominations at that time and nothing that i was hearing uh matched my experiences of actual people and um it really changed me to love lgbt people and be loved in return and as i started to hear stories and then especially as the election around prop 8 in this build up to the 2008 election was happening i started to see the hateful rhetoric and the pamphlets that were getting passed out and the ridiculous stories going around you know, through how it affected people that I now loved and was in relationship with. Um, I distinctly remember um, it was an older lesbian couple who had been coming once in a while to this um, church that we were going to. They also were extremely involved in the local Seventh-day Adventist church and had been for 17 years. And they were church ladies. Like they were the people who ran everything. They were running the... um, church newsletter and the website and coordinating Sabbath school, which is what Adventists called Sunday school. Um, they, uh, played the organ in church, directed the handbell choir. They were the sort of people who just hold a place together. And the, um, a new pastor had come in who didn't realize, um, that they were, um, a couple. Um, he thought that they were, they were elderly women and one of them, um, was disabled. And I, I think he just overlooked any aspect like that of their lives. And he preached a really, really hateful sermon about Prop 8 and same-sex marriage and just all the normal, horrible um, comparisons. And um, it went on for an hour. And afterwards, they went to him and said, I don't know if you know, but you're talking about us. And it is really difficult to hear that. And he was just flabbergasted, had no idea. And in no time, they were stripped of every leadership role in the church, um, except for directing the handbell choir. Um, The names were Linda and Jackie, and Linda was the only one who knew how to direct a handbell choir. And so she was told, um, it still makes me cry, um, that she could direct the handbell choir, but she was to keep her back to the congregation when she was on the platform. And, um, when you hear a story like that from people who you now know and love, um, and you see the hurt and you see they are far better Adventists than I have ever been, <laughs> uh, and commitment and dedication and purpose and, um, and beliefs, uh, I was already on the progressive end of the spectrum in other areas at that point in time. And to see that kind of hurt, um, it, it changes you and i realized that um we had to do something and so uh, my husband and i along with an, another few people started a campaign um called adventists against prop 8 and it was meant to encourage california adventists to vote against prop 8 which always was a little bit confusing meant voting for same sex marriage mm-hmm. on the basis of the separation of church and state which adventists because they worship on a day other than other christians so think of themselves as, as a religious minority have always very strongly supported adventists do not tend to actually be part of the evangelical right crowd at all because they're afraid of being forced to worship on sunday so it actually became very successful it hit a like got a lot of attention the adventist church and that's was my introduction to the lgbt adventist community as we partnered in this project and when Prop eight passed, it was a really strange night in San Francisco because president Obama had won and there was elation about that and what it meant and this turning point. But we also had this just ominous feeling, the votes weren't all in yet, but the, the percentages were not looking good that prop eight was going to pass. And I was um, eight months pregnant with our first child that month. She was born December of 2008. And so it was this moment of becoming for me and for our family and, um, it just felt like if I wasn't sure if I was going to raise her Adventist, I'm a fifth generation Adventist, uh, as is my husband. Um, I thought for a long time he was fourth and I sort of would Lord my extra, um, you know, <laughs> holiness <laughs> over him. And, uh, then we sat down with like his aunt who sort of keeps all the family stories and realized, Oh no, he's fifth generation too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, our parents, grandparents, like it's a huge part of our family's identity and heritage and i didn't know what i wanted to raise my child as and so part of us deciding to make the documentary that eventually became seventh gay adventists was exploring um our own denominational heritage and uh, just how big the tent was um and so we basically realized that we had changed profoundly our perspective and um because of relationships and stories. And, um, you know, my husband was a filmmaker already and he said, um, you know, somebody needs to make a film and it kind of took a little while for us to realize that maybe we could be the people to make that film partly because I thought that because we were not, um, ourselves LGBTQ, that m- m- that would be somehow not okay. And, um, we talked to the leadership, um, of, Seventh-day Adventist Kinship International, which is a, I mean, almost 40-year-old support organization for LGBTQ Adventists, and said, you know, would this be okay if we tried to share stories of LGBT Adventists? And the response was overwhelming. This is 10 years ago. Um, Was overwhelmingly, yes, please, because you'll have access to places that we never will, um, because we'll be seen as having an agenda, but you won't. Um, which of course every, we, that's, that's a whole other conversation, but, um, <laughs> like, I don't think it would be the same thing now. Um, but at the, at the time it was an important film to build awareness and to build a bridge and even start conversations. Like when we started filming, we frequently would get the response. There are gay Adventists like people. <laughs> and I remember my own grandfather said, isn't that an oxymoron gay Adventist? And, uh, And so that, that is not, um, that is not the perception today. Um, things have shifted and seventh cabinet helped start some conversations, but LGBT Adventists started, um, they had been speaking all along, (laughs) but started being, um, heard just a little bit more. Now this is still happening much more in just certain churches and communities, um, certain geographic regions, certainly not the entire organization. Um, my, uh, my great, Joy in life is when you can see those little aha moments in people's eyes from having connected with somebody's story. And it doesn't mean that everything has changed or that there aren't places of um misunderstanding or disagreement still. But suddenly when you have that shared humanity, and especially when you have a small denomination like um Seventh Day Adventists, who don't get to see themselves on the big screen very often. Uh, it it had, um, there was profound transformations that happened and, you know, I'm consider everybody who was in our uh, films family, like we are forever bonded (laughs) because of the uh, experiences we went through together, both filming and, um, and later on screening tours and discussions after film festivals and, um, the people who showed up and let themselves be filmed, which it took a lot of convincing for everybody who's in the film to actually show up. Documentary filmmakers, we aren't that interested in the people who are begging to be filmed.
1: <laughs>
2: um for whatever reason, it it sometimes um we're we tend to try to pursue those who aren't looking for a spotlight often. And um so we've we were filming many more people, but eventually those were the three people whose stories um are in the final film and yeah, they're powerful. I actually just rewatched it with a local youth group that it did a screening just a few months ago. And it'd been a while since I'd seen it all the way through. And I just cried all over again. And just, I just love, love those souls and, um, the courage it takes to share your story, especially around spiritual topics, um, and especially around the, you know, complicated family dynamics. And these are real families, real people, real churches, real communities, um, takes a huge amount of courage, but it, it does like, um, story is the most powerful thing to change anyone's perceptions.
0: Right. Like, I think, I think as like, I've gone through this work for the past few years, like realizing that, like, we can argue theology till we're blue in the face, <laughs>
2: right? And, and that doesn't and, and, and typically do. <laughs> right? Yeah,
0: and it, like sometimes like on occasion, rare occasion it works, but but
2: it's it only works when someone has already moved themselves enough, usually because of a relationship, right? Um, that they're open to new information.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think you're like highlighting this this truth of like the importance of relationships and stories and like that makes me think of like this is like the perfect transition (laughs) (laughs) think of like the work that you're jumping into now which is this new book uh children's book holy troublemakers and unconventional saints uh which is all about like creating better faith-based stories for our kids
2: Making the films that we have, both Seventh and then the outspoken short film series, which was, again, uh, more stories of LGBTQ Adventists, but this time in a shorter format for online viewing. It, it completely shook our faith, both because we deconstructed beliefs that we had been taught um, implicitly and explicitly since we were kids. And then we saw the political arm of the church um, and the legal arm, actually, uh, reacting to our our films, and it can be really hard on your faith when you see the like uh, when you get a cease and desist from the corporation <laughs> that owns your owns your church's brand name. Um, those things shake, you know, uh, the faith that you that you had in these the memories of um, sort of this cohesive community of people. Um, who go through life together, because you've also seen that that works only for those who fit and how damaging it is when somebody doesn't fit those, um, uh, you know, the boundaries lines that have been, that have been drawn by the, by the current, um, status quo. And so our faith has shifted dramatically. Um, and we both went through a period of, um, not really having much, faith or a lot of questions. My husband still currently identifies as agnostic. I'm some sort of, um, I'm a theist on my good days. Um, (laughs) I believe I'm a story, I'm a storyteller and I, I kind of have to believe in a bigger story somehow. Um, I, I will literally, um, turn to Harry Potter before I'll turn to the Bible often when I need, um, encouragement and support that ultimately, um, love wins and there's a bigger narrative out there. But, um, I still cry about it because it's still hard. I have these two, you know, amazing little girls and I don't always know what to say. And my eldest one in particular has always had those big questions. She's an existential thinker. She's a philosopher. I mean, at two and a half, she was asking me questions about death. Um, At four, she was asking me like, what does it mean to be alive? And what is a hand really? And what if we're just an idea in the mind of God? And, I mean she's asking these huge questions that I do not have the pat easy answers for that I was given and it would be a lot easier to just give those easy answers um and just talk about you know heaven and the world to come and it would it would be so much easier but I have never been able to share with her something that I don't actually believe um and then the books that I would turn to are frankly just terrible <laughs> you know 98% of the faith-based content out there for kids and families is just awful. It's written from a very conservative evangelical fundamentalist viewpoint. It's uh, usually uh, you will never see um, LGBT people centered, celebrated, uh, even acknowledged. Um, You will not see anything other than, you know, aggressively masculine um, images of the divine. Um, You won't, I mean, the, the sort of nationalist patriotic stuff gets put in there too. Um, super racist, <laughs> even in subtle, even in um, very subtle ways. Often, I mean, you know, most church spaces. That I grew up in are in retrospect, completely white spaces, and um there's just like the books completely reflect that, and um most of the faith heroes that you read about when you read a little more context, like they're wiping out indigenous cultures, they're <laughs> you know it's it's not um it's like totally empire uh related, and um like it's just not stuff I feel super great about passing on to my kids, or it's just super moralistic and behavioristic, you know, oh. He didn't obey his dad. And oops, he fell down a cliff. (laughs) Yes. They're really that (laughs) obviously moralistic many times. And I just can't read them to my kids. And it was great before she could read my older daughter (laughs) because I would just change things. I mean, of course, you can't change the imagery and the pictures, but I would change them. And I would even, I would do this still with um, like fairy tales or things like that. Um, I would say like, well, I sure hope she was the type of princess who wanted to marry a prince. Because if she really wanted to marry a princess, that might not actually be a very happy ending. Or, you know, trying to ask little questions like that to just slightly introduce questions and show the just enormous like heteronormative. heteronormativity of all the stories that children get told in our culture. Um, and uh, and now my daughter will notice that too. Like um, She actually, I cannot even tell you how awesome I have on my wall right now, this um, coloring book mashup that she made the other day. She'd gone to my mom's house for a couple hours, and I guess my mom had gotten them a new um, princess coloring book. And it's all like uh, ball gowns and wedding dresses sort of thing. And uh, she didn't like that none of them were same-sex couples. And so she cut two of them out and put them on another piece of paper, colored them, uh, <laughs> made them women of color, and um, <laughs> and wrote a little dialogue on the side that says, do you take this woman as your wife? I do. Do you take this woman as your wife? I do. Well, then I think you're married. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, this is such a gift to my family because the LGBT Adventist community welcomed us in and let us be storytellers, um, to, uh, um, the rest of the Adventist community that was willing to listen. And so she grew up around this, I mean, I was pregnant with her when the beginnings of this project stirred. And so she's completely grown up around, um, like her, her idea of, um, God and, um, all of that has been just so much better because of, of this work. So I am super, super grateful, um, to, especially the LGBT Adventist community, but the broader, um, queer Christian community too, who like let us, um, be family members. And it's, it's been nothing but, um, it's been nothing but blessings, honestly. Yeah. Mm, That's amazing. So like, that's how I came to decide to make this book by the way is like, there's, there's a few books here and there, uh, that are great. Um, Desmond Tutu has a children's storybook Bible, um, uh, children of God, sorry, the children of God storybook Bible. That is quite beautiful. But again, my daughter will point out it only uses he pronouns for God and she does not like that. Um, that's amazing. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I love that.
2: Oh yeah. She loves to paint pictures of mother God. Um, Ah. She makes Mother God Rainbow uh, skin tone because she's supposed to represent all people. And I, I've just complained about this for years. Anybody who knows me has heard me complain about this. The very first Wild Goose Festival that I went to, which was when 7th is screened there five years ago, everybody who I met, I was like, oh, I love what you're doing. Thank you so much. Where's the content for kids? Um, because there are a lot of good resources for um, people who have shifted faith into a more progressive space or needed to do a lot of that deconstruction reconstruction work. Um, for adults now there's great podcasts, there's books, um, there's, there's blogs, but the content for kids is by and large still pretty awful. Um, there are a few people doing good stuff. Like There's the faith forward conference where they're doing really great stuff, but it's focused more on, um, children's pastors and people who are teaching the curriculum. There's not just a lot for home life. And I, I love some of the illustrated storybooks that have come out lately. They're just gorgeous. And they're something you want to like put out and look through and really inspiring. And just sort of occurred to me, you know what, what if we had one of these through the lens of faith, like people who did really good work for all of us, um, for whom faith mattered. And we were highlighting their stories. And we especially emphasize the stories of people who are not typically included in religious narratives, women, LGBT people, people of color, indigenous people, people from the disabled community, uh, which is, um, a few people have pointed out to me, Hey, you need, uh, your list right now needs to include that. I said, yeah, absolutely. Like this, these are still, um, our final list is going to be decided by the community of people who back the project. Um, because I know there are stories that I don't know about yet that I should, but you know, right now, um, I have a couple, six portraits done. Um, and they're gorgeous. Like I love working with artists. Um, they just, they bring beauty and magic and hope, um, at least in my life right now. And like the Bayard Rustin portrait and the Maria Molkara and Rabbi Rahina Jonas and Sinewing Brandt and Alice Paul, and, and they're just glorious. And I know like having something like this, like is just sitting on my girl's bedside table that we can just sit down and flip through together. And it'll just bring up um, conversation topics um, that otherwise might not naturally come up. And these are the people that I want them to be inspired by right now. I think especially everything that's going on in our political climate and government. And I, like, I want, I want them to know, like, people can choose to use their faith for good. Like it's not just about your own personal salvation and well, I'm good. I've got my exit ticket. Like I'm, I'm set. (laughs) Like there are people who, um, you know, they rocked the religious boat and they said, no, this isn't right. And, um, we should all know about Bayard Rustin. Like he is the civil rights hero. We should all know about. He's the one who fully convinced Martin Luther King Jr. to embrace nonviolent resistance. as like a complete ideology and not just a strategy. He's the one who convinced him that his armed personal armed guards needed to go because you couldn't be leading a nonviolent resistance movement, uh, you know, with men with guns by your side. And, um, he is just remarkable. Um, you know, lifelong Quaker and, uh, absolutely a holy troublemaker extraordinaire i mean his angelic troublemaker um concept that we every community needs angelic troublemakers is what inspired the title of the book and i love the portrait of him it was done by um uh senor equis a spanish street artist uh, i didn't even know his real name till it was time to paypal him um and i just and he does like really great um you know like anti-consumerism street art and um I just thought it like he was a great match for a brilliant street protest organizer, like, uh, fired Rustin. And so it's just been really, it's just been a really neat process. And I feel like it's, um, giving me life and hope right now, researching, um, the lives of these, uh, modern and historical holy troublemakers. And, uh, I I just know it's the book that I need to exist for my kids. And I, I know I'm not alone in that. Like, I think there's this growing group of definitely parents, but aunts, uncles, godparents, teachers who, um, who want that we want to pass on something better to our kids than what we had. Cause we've worked really, really hard <laughs> and it's been exhausting <laughs> as adults <laughs> to sort of work through some of the really toxic um, things that we had uh, from our faith. And so we're trying to do better. Um, but the content, that we naturally give to kids, you know, we naturally give kids books and stories um, to help shape a culture. Like that's what every culture does um, is we tell them our stories and we just don't have that much content yet um, from a progressive faith perspective for kids. And so I hope this is going to be just a really, um, I know it's going to be beautiful um, if it funds it's, it's what I want right now. Um, And uh, I really hope it's a, it's just been really affirming seeing people um, I respect um, and admire resonating with right. the vision and the need for it.
0: Yeah. Cause you, I mean, you've gotten like a fair amount of press about it already. Like this campaign just launched within the last, what,
2: week and a half or so? Yeah. Yeah. It's been 10 days. Yeah. So we're, we're with, we're, um, we're almost 50% funded in 500 backers. So it's not an inexpensive book. Um, and this is actually, I'm only raising hard costs, <laughs> um, but commissioning 50 original works of art is not an inexpensive thing. Um, and then we're using a press that is um, like an ethical press. Like it's employee owned. They use sustainably farmed paper and environmental, environmentally friendly inks. Um, they're in Canada. They're the same press that printed the Goodnight stories for rebel girls books. Which is beautiful. Um, and, uh, yeah, so a hard bound, full color. <laughs> You know, a uh, 200-plus page book uh, with 50 works of original art is is not an inexpensive undertaking, which is why it has to be done this way. There is no traditional publisher um, that would take this on uh, right right now. We, we will have to um, we will we will have to fund the book that we that we want to need. But I really do think there's an entire library worth of content to be created. Like the it's a super underserved market. Um, you know, progressive um, families of faith like. There is so little available. And it's a growing group. I just saw a study um, from, I think it was from Pew, but one of those groups that said that um, atheists in America are still more religious um, than Christians in Europe, uh, by and large. Interesting.
0: (laughs) Interesting.
2: And I think that just has to do with how drenched, uh, we have all, we, we are, uh, in religious rhetoric and framing, uh, in this country. And I think like there's this growing movement of nuns and duns, um, which sometimes I identify as myself. I probably would if I didn't have kids that I, were, that I was also hoping to, um, like I want to give them at least a religious literacy, uh, wherever their faith journey takes them is fine with me, but I, I want them to have some access to this. And, um, I, I just think most of us have not, um, we've left organized religion, but we have not left spirituality. We haven't left God. Um, we haven't left our hope that religion can be a force for good too. And so I just don't think there's much content for, for our children. And, uh, I I think there's a lot more that could be done.
0: Yeah. So to wrap up, like, so you're, you're working on, you're about halfway there, but you're working on raising $50,000 for this book. Yes. Um, how can people support it? Like if people are listening to this being like, uh, yeah, like I, I, yeah. I, I want this, I need this. Like how can people jump into
2: this? Well, this work? it is on Kickstarter right now. Um, and we have, yeah, three more weeks to go. So there's definitely time. Um, people sharing it has been working brilliantly, our conversion rate on Kickstarter right now is three times the average, which means when people see it, like the demographic who needs this and knows that it's needed, um, they're really resonating with the vision for this. I just need help getting it in front of more people. So because, you know, I have been spending the last 10 years mainly focused on, you know, advocacy, bridge building, and uh, conversation within Adventism. So that's it's been a powerful um, niche uh, because it's small niches. You can, you can make a little more noise. Um, but in the broader progressive Christian community um, you know, I'm not somebody with a big platform and um and I'm not somebody who likes that. I'm an Enneagram too. <laughs> uh, so it's really hard for me to do something that feels
1: promotional.
2: Um, I'm all about a cause, <laughs> which is why it was, um, which is why I think I could step into advocacy on behalf of like, okay, how do we love and listen to people that uh, are in the Adventist community who are currently not, you're um, being talked about, but not with, like I could really step into that in, a, in an assertive way. Um, but it's really hard for me to be like, Hey, this is a book that I need and want and I'm actually writing. Um, (laughs) so I have a hard time doing that. But if people, um, realize that, uh, you know, they, we do need better stories, um, for our kids. And these are the sort of faith, uh, heroes we want them to know about. And it's not just Christian, um, faith leaders, by the way, um, there's Jewish Muslim, uh, Sikh Buddhist. Um, and, and I want more, like I want this to be a representative. It'll certainly have a strong percentage of, um, Christians, as I suspect, that is, uh, you know, it's it's the well from which I draw. But um, I, I certainly want my children to be reading about people from diverse faiths who are working for love and justice. So, first of all, yeah, back it. Um, uh, the digital version is only fifteen dollars, um, and there's actually still early bird discs available. And then uh, sharing it really helps. Like people who are seeing it and hearing from somebody, like, hey, this is an amazing project. Check it out. Like when and Doyle tweeted about it, and Broderick Greer, and Brian McLaren and um, Rabbi Danya Rutenberg and some people like that, like when they've tweeted it, like I instantly notice, like, Oh, people are paying attention to them. Um, So sharing it helps. And um, I know that uh, I know it's the book that I need. So I'm really hoping it, uh, It funds. I'm actually kind of signing myself up for basically like a year of uh, volunteer work to actually write it. But, um, well, and hopefully, (laughs) like, it's what needs to happen, I think.
0: Yeah. And I'm thinking about, like, I'm thinking, like, even for me, like, I I, I don't have kids. Kids aren't on the horizon, at least for a while, but like, I want kids. And even thinking about like having this for when I have kids, like, I'm like, because I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast aren't necessarily in that demographic, but I'm like, I want this book like for myself yeah. and for like 10 years on the road when I have some little ones. Like, yeah.
2: And, and lots of people have nieces, nephews, godchildren, right. or, or they help out in the kids program at church or like truly like these are gorgeous portraits and these people are very inspiring. Like I want this book f- for me too. <laughs> yeah. Ah,
0: yeah. Uh, that's so cool. Um, uh, what's the website that people can go to?
2: ah thank you yes so holytroublemakers.com and there's a link there to the kickstarter or you can go directly to the kickstarter by um just putting in holytroublemakers.com slash kickstarter
0: awesome ah uh, well thank you so much danine and like, oh thank you yeah this is i'm cool.
2: really excited that we're going to get to meet in person at the well, world festival in a few days yes i'm so excited
0: <laughs> it's going to be amazing thank
2: you for the conversations yeah. that you are curating and moderating the people um that you've been talking to are the people that i love to follow on Mm -hmm. twitter and continually feel um you know educated by and uh inspired by too
0: yeah well it's it's an honor thank you thank you so much
2: thank you so much
0: to find out more about Janine's book project holy troublemakers and unconventional saints head over to holytroublemakers.com to check out Deneen's documentary film Seventh Gay Adventists uh, which is an incredible film I recommend if you haven't seen it go watch it uh, you can do that at sgafilm.com uh, and Deneen is on Twitter at JanineAkers. Quereology is produced with support from Natalie England, Tim Schrader, Christian Hayes, and over 70 other Patreon supporters. To find out how you can help keep Chorology on the air, head over to MatthiasRoberts.com support. A really easy way to help support Chorology is by leaving a rating or a review. Do that right in your podcast app or head over to MatthiasRoberts.com review. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of what you want to hear on the podcast or just want to say hi, reach out. I'll get back to you.